0: All right, we are going to, be, uh, we're going to be in John chapter 14 this morning. Really, I'm going to knock something over. All right. John chapter 14. And just to remind you where we are in the story of, of John's gospel, this is Jesus' last, uh, last night with his disciples. This is their last meal together, and this is their last conversation Usually at big moments in one's life, there's um, um, whether it's a graduation or uh, the, the, the locker room speech before you head out for the big game, big moments usually mean big words. And so that's what Jesus is about to give us. Jesus is giving his parting words to his, to his disciples. Um, and so that's where we're going to pick up, just to remind you, Where, Right where in the story we are, Jesus has just told his lead disciple, Peter, that he will deny him three times. Um, He has just told Peter that, well, he's just told all the disciples, one of you is going to betray me, I'm leaving and you can't follow me, and then, Peter, you're not even going to make it through the night before you have disowned me. In light of that... Jesus goes on to say this in John 14, verse 1. Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it weren't so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself, that where I am... You may be also, and you know the way to where I am going. Thomas said to him, Lord, we don't know where you're going. How can we know the way? Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you had known me, you would have known my Father also. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. Philip said to him, Lord, show us the Father, and it is enough for us. Jesus said to him, have I been with you so long, and you still don't know me, Philip? Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Don't you believe that I am in the Father, and the Father is in me? that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. Let's pray together. Gracious God, would you open your word to us now? Lord, would you bless the reading and the hearing and the preaching of your holy word so so that we would not be left unchanged, God, would you help us to enter into this last night, this last night as you sought to comfort your disciples before the most troubling night uh, for the biggest crisis of your own life and their lives. Lord, would you speak? Speak with power. Speak with power to my heart. Speak with power to our hearts. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. I remember when Rebecca and I moved to Jackson for seminary. Um, they have a they have a counseling school, a marriage and family therapy school there at Jackson. And so, as we're touring the campus, one of the things they had all of the all of the new students do is they, they t- we took a stress test, basically. Right? You filled out this test that, and you 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 rate you just kind of retold re- the story of the past few months, how many of life's major changes you'd been through. So. Um, marriage, divorce, uh, birth of a new child, um, death of a family member, moving, changing jobs. I'm trying to think if there were any others. Um, yeah, ending one job, starting another one. So changing jobs was actually two. So in this test, there were at least seven major stressors that human beings go through, right? Things that, that upset the apple cart. Uh, and I think in our move to Jackson, we had accomplished like five of the seven. Um, so at least from the counseling department, we were, you know, in the crosshairs. Um, you can understand where these where these guys are at, um, where these where these where these men are. You can understand what they're what they're wrestling with. You can understand why Jesus says, "Don't let your hearts be troubled." They have lots of good reasons. To be troubled. They have lots of good reasons to be distressed. Their friend and their master has said that he's leaving and that they can't follow. One of them is a traitor, one of them is a betrayer. And another one, the strongest one, uh, like I said, he won't even make it through the night before he's turned his back on Jesus. And so those are some pretty good stressors. They have lots of reasons to be afraid. Jesus knows what they don't. Jesus knows that by this time tomorrow night, he will be dead. And that by this time tomorrow night, they will be scattered. But Jesus also knows that that's not the end of the story. Jesus knows that he won't stay dead. And Jesus knows that that they won't remain scattered. And so he begins to prepare them. He begins to prepare them for his departure and for what their life will look like on the other side of the cross. And so he says, Don't let your hearts be troubled. And really, what we're going to see today is really just kind of one message, and it's this that Jesus comforts troubled hearts with himself. That when Jesus says, Don't trust, or when he says, Don't let your hearts be troubled. The first thing, the only thing he really points to is himself. He alone is the one who comforts troubled hearts. And then everything else we're going to look at is given as a reason for that. And so let's really start with the main idea that Jesus is the real cure for anxiety. All human beings are prone to anxiety. um, And the reason is because anxiety, all all anxiety really is is our response to being out of control. And that happens, you know, all the time, right? And if you really think about it, did you even really get to choose what you had for breakfast this morning? Because if that wasn't available in the grocery store, would that, I mean, so you see how how your control over your existence is pretty limited. And, uh, you know, that's one of the illusions of living in a technologically advanced world, that because I have my iPhone, I now have this illusion that I am in full control of my existence, I, I can know the weather, right? Ask somebody 250 years ago if they knew what the weather was going to be, not just today, but for the next three days. Actually, I guess I don't really know it can change. But I can, I can see the rain coming on the radar screen on my phone, right? Not only that, but I've got, I've got my calendar and I've got my to-do list, and so I'm in complete control of my day. I have news on hand uh, from all across the world. I don't have to wait a significant amount of time to know what's happening in China. I can know it right away. Not only that, but I can know what all of the people I like think about it (laughs) and all the people I don't like, right? And so I have all of this knowledge at my disposal. I'm in control, at least until I drop my phone in the water, right, or until I shatter it. Uh, And then, you know, that, that... that blood pressure, that, that that heart rate, you begin to feel quicken. That's called stress, right? And the more it mounts, that's that's called anxiety. That sense you begin to get that no, no, I'm really not in control. Uh, that that illusion dissipates pretty quickly. And that doesn't just apply. If uh, that's just an example, if you don't even have an iPhone, if you are the most rugged doomsday prepper. Um, I'm going to live off the grid sort of person. You are not anymore in control of your universe. You cannot control natural disasters, drought, tornado. Um, You can maybe cushion the blow, but you can't ultimately do much about it. And so if you're human, at some point your heart will be troubled. These men have good reason to be distressed, maybe better than most. Some of the reasons we're anxious really aren't very good reasons. The fact that my iPhone crashes into a thousand pieces is not a good reason necessarily to be distressed. But I know what it means, and you know what it means. You know what it means to be anxious. You know what it means to be out of control. And so I love the fact that Jesus says, don't let your hearts be troubled. The same word that that is used of Jesus just a chapter earlier, when it says Jesus' soul was distressed. Jesus knew what was coming, and He was distressed. And so we have a Savior that we can relate to, a Savior that knows us. But then here, when it comes to His disciples, I mean, He's the one who's about to go face the greatest challenge. He's the one about to face death, and He says, "If anybody should be, can we say, if anybody should be freaking out, it should be Jesus." They should be comforting him, right? And yet Jesus looks at his disciples. He can see the worry on their faces, and he says, Don't let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God? These are all good Jewish men. They would have known the Scriptures. They would have known that when things got out of control, that when things looked bad, that they had a rock that they could run to. They would have had a refuge in the Lord. At least they knew that with their heads. But Jesus says something pretty remarkable. He says, You believe in God? Believe also in me. Jesus puts himself on par with God. He says, I am God. Believe me. Trust me. And so it's not so much that we grow anxious that's the problem. It's what we do with our anxiety. It's how we deal with our distress and we are particularly adept at seeking our own remedies, right? Psychology calls this self-medicating. We, we medicate with food. We medicate with drink. We medicate with work. We medicate with play. We are good at turning every good and perfect gift from God into something to dull the pain. Something to take the edge off of our anxiety. We medicate with social media. We medicate with substances that were created for something else altogether. We know how to medicate. We we medicate ourselves with other people, with relationships, with the emotions of others. But what's what's really the remedy? What's really the only medication that won't run out or disappoint? Jesus says, trust me. You believe in God, you trust in God, trust in me. Why? Why is Jesus trustworthy? He gives a few reasons in the verses that follow. We'll look at a few of them. He says in verse 2, in my Father's house are many rooms. If it weren't so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? Jesus isn't just leaving. He's actually leaving with a purpose. He's leaving so that he can prepare a place, a home, a place of rest. And so the first thing we see, the first reason we can trust Jesus is because he gives us a home. Jesus comforts with a home. Uh, We talked about this morning in Sunday school the fact that there are now 63 million forcibly displaced. That's the politically correct term for refugee there are 63 million refugees in the world, more than there have ever been, people who have lost, who have been forced out of their homes. You can imagine the instability in their lives, education, upset, food shortage, not knowing um, who's going to provide for the lights, do we have lights, how many people are we going to fit in this tent, all of these questions that most of us really don't have to answer. But Jesus so you, can, so you can imagine the anxiety and distress of being without a home. Jesus says, I have a place for you. I have a big, big house with lots and lots of rooms. There's such a place in Jesus' Father's house. And he says, I'm going to prepare that place for you. And not only that, but he says, if I go and prepare a place for you, I'm going to come back. I'm going to come back, and I'm going to bring you to it. So notice what Jesus doesn't say. He doesn't say, I'm going to go prepare a place, and then you guys, just as you have an opportunity, find your way to get there. He says, I'm going to go get it ready, and then I'm going to come back and get you. He's talking about his second coming. He's not talking about necessarily the moment of our death when we are um, with the Lord in spirit. He's referring to his second coming when he will come back and gather all of his redeemed to the new heavens and the new earth. And the greatest joy of it is not that not that we have a place, but that we have a place with Jesus. He says, I'm going to come back to get you so that where I am, you may be also. The joy of eternity, the joy of the new heavens and the new earth, is not simply seeing deceased loved ones, but it's that we get to enjoy eternity with God himself. So Jesus comforts us with a home and Jesus comforts us with the father look at verse 7 he says if you had known me you would have known my father also from now on you do know him and have seen him philip says to him lord show us the father and it is enough for us philip represents us well philip's hungry for the experience he says god just just uh, jesus just pull back the curtain a little bit show us the father that'll be plenty then then i'll settle down show us the father and again we're crafty here we're adept at inventing ways to be spiritual inventing ways to approach god or the great unknown or whatever it is you may want to call it we use creation for things like this saying i really worship god by being in the mountains etc and jesus says no not really I really worship God by being quiet and stilling my inner voice. Jesus says, no, that's not it either. What he says to Philip is, Philip, don't you know me? Have you been with me so long and still you ask this question? If you have seen me, you have seen the Father. And that's a pretty astonishing statement. And really what it represents is kind of the highest mountain of Christian teaching, a mountain that we're not going to summit this side of heaven. But Jesus says, I and the Father are one. If you've seen me, if you know me, then you know God. What does that mean for us? How do we apply that? At least one thing it means is, uh, well, one thing for our heads is Jesus is not just a mere messenger. That's not what he says about himself. He's not just a good teacher, Jesus is not just another prophet. Jesus is not a minor deity uh, like the Jehovah's Witnesses or the the, um, uh, Mormons would believe. Jesus is very clear. He says, I and the Father are one. I am in the Father and the Father is in me. Jesus is God and no less. And what's mysterious about it is that there's a distinction. There is the Son and there is the Father. And the Father has sent the Son... But the Son is not less than the Father. They are both. And as we'll find out in the next chapter, or a little later on in this chapter, there's a third. And all three are God. All three are equal in their essence. So that's for our heads, but what does that mean for our hearts? That means that, that Jesus is worthy of our worship. Jesus is worthy to be praised. Jesus is worthy to be listened to. He's not just heaven's representative. He's heaven's God and heaven's king. And so what that means is is we can stop the experience hunt. We we don't have to be like Philip. We don't have to keep saying, isn't there something more? Isn't there something more? I need more. What else is there? Lord, show us the Father. Jesus' reply is, there is nothing more. I am all that you need. I am all that you need for worship. I am all that you need for knowledge. I am all that you need for life. If you are looking for it, find it in me. In fact, I'm the only place you're going to be satisfied in looking. And so Jesus comforts us by providing a home. He comforts us by showing us the Father. But ultimately, Jesus comforts us with himself. Let's go back at Thomas's question. Jesus says in verse 4, you know the way to where I'm going. And Thomas says, Lord, we don't know where you're going. How can we know the way? We don't know the destination. Jesus, I don't understand what you're saying. And if I don't know the destination, I can't figure out which road will take me there. And so Jesus answers him with those famous words in verse 6. Thomas says, Lord, how can we know the way? Jesus says to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. I am the way. I am the road you must take. Jesus is not just a pioneer. He's not just a trailblazer. That's what you would expect. If, you, if Jesus was just a profound religious teacher, uh, if he were a Muhammad or uh, Joseph Smith or a Buddha, someone like that, he would say, He he would just say, here is the way. I'm going to go first, but you you need to follow the path that I've spoken of. This is the way. But Jesus is so much more than a pioneer or a trailblazer. He doesn't just show us the way. He actually is the way. He is the road himself. He doesn't just say, follow me. He says, believe in me, trust in me. I am the truth. Not I have truth, not simply I teach truth, but I am the living embodiment of truth. If you want to know what's true, you have to know me. If you want to know what's true about God, you have to know me. I am the sum total of religious knowledge. And this is over against the lie. And there are lots of lies that we believe. And Jesus Is He doesn't just speak, but he is the truth over against the lie. And then Jesus says, I am the life. Not just follow me if you want to find your way to life, but have me and you will have life. Trust me and you will not die. You will have the good life, eternal life. I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. And then Jesus says something that offends our delicate sensibilities. He says, no one comes to the Father except through me. Jesus does not hold himself out as an option. He does not hold himself out as an if you want to get to the top of the mountain, I'm probably your best guide. There are some other folks out there. You can go there if you like. But if you want to get to the top, I'm, pr- I'm probably the best. He says, no, if you want to get to the mountain, if you, want to, if you want to reach the summit, I'm the only way you can go. I'm the only way to get there. And that offends our, our democratic sensibilities. We like options we like lots of good options and then we like to be able to pick and choose and maybe in the most important thing in life Jesus says there's really only one choice if i am the way if i am the truth against the lie if i am the life against death then really if you want if you want that You have to to want me. You have to trust in me. And while that's incredibly unpopular, I think it's also incredibly freeing. It's also incredibly refreshing. How many of us have stood in the store aisle looking at all 300 choices for cereal? Jesus says there's really only one option that's going to satisfy you. There's really only one way to get to the top. Isn't that good news? And I think it's the exclusivity of Jesus, it's the uniqueness of Jesus that make it so amazing. Because I'm not just picking who the best personal trainer is. Uh, I'm not just picking which religious philosophy I want to tailor my life after. I'm saying, I can't get there without you. And so, Lord Jesus... I want to trust in you. I want to have you so that you'll have me. He is the way. He is the truth. He is the life. Come to him so you can get to the Father. Let's pray. Lord, at first glance, An exclusive claim to salvation is not a very comforting thing and yet you use that to comfort your disciples. In the hours ahead, they would face criticism, shame, death, upheaval, the darkest nights of their lives, probably. And in the midst of that, You stood as a shining beacon, comforting them by saying, come to me to have life. Come to me to know God. Come to me and you will live forever. Where we may have faced our darkest nights already or maybe they're ahead of us. And yet, the comfort is still the same. The comfort is still you, Lord Jesus. I pray that we would place our lives in your hands. Not not to study you as as a religious teacher. That will only get us so far. But really, to trust in you. To place our souls in your hands. And to receive the comfort that comes from that. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Let me invite the uh, elders forward to uh, prepare the table.